Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Teacher's Tribe podcast. I am your host, Maxine McFarlane, a Jamaican educator living in the United States of America, and I'm a nurturer of minds and hearts. One of my favorite game show is Jeopardy with Alex Trebek. Although I watch it infrequently now, I remember that it was a part of my daily evening routine for quite a while. I wondered about the tremendous amount of research that the writers had to do and the high level of creativity that must be employed in coming up with the categories and questions. The before and after category is one that I'm always fascinated by, and I'm usually proud of myself when I figure out the clues. For example, New York City nickname that refers to the most special person ever, and that answer would be Big Apple of My Eye. So before, big, well, do I really need to explain it? <laughs> All right, let's see. So New York City nickname, that would be Big Apple. That refers to the most special person ever, Apple of my eye. So that's the before and after category. I usually don't announce the titles of the podcast episodes, but find a way to work them into the content that I share. This week, I'm making an exception. I chose a before and after style title because it's time for a reality check mark. Reality check, check mark. Keep listening. The reality check is here. At the time of this recording, the school board has voted for schools to reopen with face-to-face instruction towards the end of October 2020. Students in pre-K through 8th grade will transition back into school buildings in cohorts on a three-week rotation. Many teachers who applied for accommodations to allow them to work from home are still awaiting approval from the school district's Human Resource Department. Ready or not, it's happening. Amidst the trepidation that many teachers are feeling, I believe that there are too many things in the unknown category. Many questions have been swirling around. Questions like, can the cleaning protocol be realistically maintained by our current custodial staff? Will teachers and other staff members be required to do some of the cleaning? How will the mask mandate be enforced? How will teachers who are teaching face-to-face also meet the needs of the other students who are learning remotely. When will these teachers get breaks? What will instruction look like while maintaining the required physical distance and other protocols? How will school supplies be handled? Will students continue to use devices in the classroom instead of papers? What will recess be like? How will teachers with school-age children handle this new adjustment? How much PPE is being provided to school sites? Who will be assigned to monitor students during lunch break and how can they stay safe when masks are removed? How and when will it be communicated to staff, parents and students when someone tests positive for the virus? I could go on and on, but thinking about all of this is potentially anxiety producing. So I'll just stop here. The reality check for me as a teacher is that more than any other time in my career, I will have to be flexible. It's hard to accept that I cannot fully plan 
because we don't have all the details and won't exactly know how things will be until we experience them. For the rest of this semester, our district will have some students returning to school in cohorts. High school students and those whose parents had signed up for virtual academy will continue to learn from home. All staff are required to teach from the school buildings unless they have an accommodation for medical reasons. I have been teaching remotely and my class has students assigned to the virtual academy. I wish I didn't have to return to the building amidst all of the uncertainty and rising COVID-19 cases in my state. Frankly, since my students will be learning from home anyway, I don't see the need for more people to be potentially exposed. But the decision is made and I'm just going to have to deal with that. I spent some time exploring the CDC website where I review their back-to-school planning checklist to guide parents, guardians, and caregivers. Among the recommended actions to take and points to ponder for in-person classes are, and I'm going to list a few of the pointers that um, can be found on that website. So the first one is, check in with your child each morning for signs of illness. If your child has a temperature of 100.4 degrees or higher, they should not go to school. Another bullet says, make sure your child does not have a sore throat or other signs of illness like a cough, diarrhea, severe headache, vomiting, or body aches. And the third one I listed is, if your child has had close contact to a COVID-19 case, they should not go to school. Follow guidance on what to do when someone has shown exposure and they provide a link to that document. Throughout my years of teaching, I have seen many sick children being sent to school. The reality is that many working parents are in a bind and teachers play the role of babysitters. I can imagine that even amidst the current pandemic, some parents will unfortunately send their children to school even though they are displaying signs of illness. With flu season and allergies to further complicate matters, it will not be easy to navigate. Unfortunately, some parents will unwittingly send children to school. Maybe the child is a migraine sufferer, so the medication will be administered and expected to kick in by the time the school day starts. Or the child may have eaten something for dinner the night before that upset his or her stomach and was dismissed as a non-issue by morning. Teachers, our reality check is that we will not be able to place a check mark beside every item on the list of guidelines. That is not an easy thing to accept, but that is the reality this year. As I continued to explore the CDC guidelines, I was equally concerned about the mental health and social emotional well-being considerations. While the matter of returning to school has been debated in various sectors of society, and of course in the media, I have always felt that we have lost sight of one piece of reality. I believe that many parents, teachers, students, lawmakers, community members, and school leaders have not confronted the fact that when the school buildings reopen, things will be drastically different. The argument that reopening school buildings will meet the social, emotional, or mental health needs of students has been circulating for several months now. I understand this premise, 
and teachers would love to be able to re-establish our classroom communities to meet those needs. When I listen to people addressing the issue, I often feel that they are not considering the huge social-emotional impact that children will also face when they return to the building. The CDC expressly stated this on their website, and I'm going to share a quote here. It says, since the school experience will be very different from before, with desks far apart from each other, teachers maintaining physical distance, and the possibility of staying in the classroom for lunch, it is unlike anything your child is used to. Before school is in session, you may want to talk to your child and explain that all these steps are being taken to keep everyone safe and healthy. That, I believe, is at the heart of the reality check for parents and students. My two sons at home are in high school and our school board voted to keep high school students in remote learning through first semester. I've been having that conversation with the boys about the new protocols and how to mentally and emotionally prepare for the differences that will be quite evident when their school reopens. They have expressed how much they miss their friends and interacting with them. But I gently remind them that even though students will be sharing space, it will not be what they had last year. I also consider things through the eyes of my colleagues who will be teaching students face-to-face. I can imagine how difficult it will be for a teacher to tell or remind a student that he cannot give his friend a pencil when his classmate's pencil is broken. How will they tell two best friends from first grade that they cannot run into embraces when they see each other for the first time after over six months of separation? Those teachers may also have to deal with their own emotions as they interact with students. There won't be hugs and high fives when they greet the students. What will consoling a child look like this year? Those of us who teach primary students are familiar with offering comfort during scary situations. I had students who shed tears or showed signs of panic if there was a thunderstorm, a fire drill, or even worse, an active shooter drill. Teachers, I highly encourage us to think about how we will handle our own mental health while being there for our students and their families. We don't have the same level of access to our colleagues, and if we're not careful, we can become overwhelmed if we don't have an outlet. Add an item to your list of things to do that will cater to your own social-emotional well-being and hold yourself accountable for putting a check mark next to it every day. Here are a few more pointers from the CDC website that we should consider in our roles as parents, caregivers, and teachers. So actions to take and points to consider. And this is directly from the CDC website. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. The first one, talk with your child about how school is going and about interactions with classmates and teachers. Find out how your child is feeling and communicate that what they may be feeling is normal. We, as parents, we can no longer just say, how was your day? And the child will respond, it was good. And that's the end of the conversation. We're going to have to do a lot more than that when our children return to school. Next, anticipate behavior changes in your child. Watch for changes like excessive crying or 
or irritation, excessive worry or sadness, unhealthy eating or sleeping habits, difficulty concentrating, which may be signs of your child struggling with stress and anxiety. Next, try to attend school activities and meetings. Schools may offer more of these virtually. As a parent, staying informed and connected may reduce your feelings of anxiety and provide a way for you to express any concerns you may have about your child's school. Next point, ask your child about any plans to reduce potential stigma related to having or being suspected of having COVID-19. I know that will bring a really um, significant toll on a child emotionally if they have to deal with that. Check if your school has any system in place to identify and provide mental health services to students in need of support. If so, identify a point of contact for these services at your school. For example, the name of the school point person and their contact information. Next point, check if your school has a plan to help students adjust to being back in school. Students might need help adjusting to how COVID-19 has disrupted their daily life. Support may include school counseling and psychological services, including grief counseling, social emotional learning, that's SEL focused programs and curricula, and peer or social support groups. Unfortunately, during this time, many of our students have lost loved ones because of the pandemic, and some of them have even experienced COVID-19 themselves. So it's a whole lot to deal with. Some of them may want to come back and talk to their friends about it, especially, you know, the primary age children talk about almost everything. And that may create more tension in the classroom. Even if the child has long recovered from it, other students might become uncomfortable. So there are many things to attend to. Another point from the CDC website is check if your school will provide training for children, for students, sorry, in mindfulness, incorporating SEL into classroom curricula, either virtually or in person, or support a child's ability to cope with stress and anxiety. If not, consider asking about ways to add this to your child's at-home learning. And finally, you can be a role model for your child by practicing self-care. Among the things you can do are take breaks, get plenty of sleep, exercise, eat well, stay socially connected. One of the things I noticed my boys have been doing is taking their lunch break and going outside to sit um, there and have their lunch instead of eating in the dining area. And I think it's a good break, plus they also get a little sunshine and fresh air. And the weather is really nice right now, so that's a good practice to encourage our children. Every day when I'm signing off, before my students go off to lunch, I remind them, remember you have lunch and recess. If it's not a rainy day, go outside and play. You know, move away from the screen. Take a break before you come back. So let's um, have these conversations with our children as they get ready to go back. Or if they're already in the classroom, then this, these are the kinds of check-ins that I would encourage all parents and caregivers to do every day. inspiring experience that was shared in an educational leadership publication from ASCD.org entitled The Teacher Who Made the Difference. 
In this publication, various educators from different levels of education shared experiences about teachers that impacted them. Judy Merrillez, a school counselor, shared the following experience entitled, She Supported Me in Tough Times. I think it would be appropriate since we are going through a tough time and hopefully we may be inspired to be the person to make the difference in a child's life. Here's what Julie said. Mrs. Harvey, my sixth grade teacher, made every student feel like the most important person in the room. Because my parents were divorcing, we were living in a poor area of the school district that some wrote off as non-college bound. I had a brother who got into trouble and had to spend some time at Boys Town in Omaha. When I wrote about my feelings, Mrs. Harvey was moved to tears and said she couldn't wait to meet my brother when he came home for a visit. Mrs. Harvey nurtured the human spirit and she made me want to achieve more than my circumstances would predict at the time. I felt that she really listened when I told her about my parents' divorce or about taking care of my grandfather because my mom was working two jobs. Although I'm soon to enter my 60s, Mrs. Harvey is still a part of my life. She stays in contact via phone calls and Facebook. She showed up at the visiting hours for my mother 10 years ago, offering the same kind words and loving hugs that gave support to a young student who needed them so many years before. Although the story is about a teacher, Parents and caregivers can be the one to provide the loving support that will make an indelible impression on a child. Let's keep in mind what Laura Weaver and Mark Wilding said. And I quote, When students feel safe and supported, they are truly ready and able to learn. End of quote. Whether your children are learning face-to-face, remotely, or in a hybrid model, there is an even greater need this year for them to feel safe and supported. In the same breath, I must share Carla Tantillo Philibert's reminder. And she said, teachers need to take care of themselves in order to be able to take care of their students. I believe the same is applicable to parents and caregivers too. Let's keep pressing on and focus on what reality check we need to put in place for ourselves so that we can go through this time and be able to cope with all the changes. Until the next episode, walk good and one love.